Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it is our love for the word that has ratcheted up, Lord, in this house and has brought even uh, greater desire for the Spirit. And you can sense the life of the Spirit in this house, the hunger and thirst, Lord, for eating the Word, for sitting with Jesus in Scripture, for going beyond what just ink on paper has to say, but having, having a living relationship with the living God and His living Word. That is our heart, and may it go throughout the world in these last days. May it happen, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Well, I want to continue sharing on the centrality of Jesus this morning. No other foundation, Paul said, can be laid than the one that's already been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. He needs to be laid as the foundation of our personal life, our businesses, our church, uh, our private life, our public life who we are behind closed doors, who we are at the ball game or watching a game or whatever it may be. He needs to be the foundation of everything we are and everything we're doing. Amen? Good spot for an amen right there. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. I don't have it on the screen because the Lord started giving it to me at 5 o'clock this morning. So I don't have it, but Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, we're talking about laying Christ as foundation Jesus says, this is the NIV here, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Man, Selah right there. Why do you call me Lord, like your master, your your savior, your, uh, your boss, your ruler, your owner, and don't do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice... I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house. Look at this, guys, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house. uh, It came against the house, but it couldn't shake it because it was well built. Take it from someone who loves great truth and great revelation. You know, I love the goosebumps. I love the chicken skin. It's like, oh my gosh, have you seen this in Scripture? Listen to what the Lord showed me. No matter how deep you go, Jesus just said, when you dig deep in Him, you're obeying Him. So I love great revelation. I love great truth. But if all we do is shout at the truth and think, man, that was such a powerful revelation, we never do what it says, what the revelation is, what the truth is, is never made manifest in our life. We're not actually digging deep or laying any kind of foundation. We, thank you, Jody, it is, (laughs) it is digging deep in your walk with the Lord. And let's look at the Western church. We're not where we ought to be. Amen. Look at our country. Two-thirds of us claim to be Christian. We have not dug deep. And it's not for a lack of revelation. We've got all kinds of revelation on YouTube and uh, podcasts. There's truth everywhere. But are we doing what He says? Are we putting the Word into practice? Is it becoming one with us? Because that's how you dig deep and that's how he said you lay him as the foundation of your life. So Lord, if I could just get the, the obedience of 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Maybe that's not super deep, but if that's manifesting in Steve's life, I am building my house on him. I'm I'm laying a firm foundation in him. So anyway, I woke up to that this morning. <laughs> Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. This is also the NIV. Through, for through him, Jesus Christ... We both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. How are we joined together? How are we united In Him. In Him. Not on what you believe, but on whom you believe. On whom all of us are placing our trust in. Because we're going to see things a little bit different here and there, doctrinally, but that's okay, as long as it's not, you know, the major thing. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, for example. But we're joined together, united in Him, a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, And in Christ, you too are being built together, to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So everything Jesus came to do is going gonna, is gonna to land right there. That God wants to live on the inside of you. Cindy touched on it with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in uh, John 14, verse 16 through 23. So in laying the uh, Jesus Christ as the foundation of our lives, we've committed to know His person, know His work, know His teaching, and what? Obeying His teaching, His authority, and His voice. I'm going to say it again. Two-thirds of Americans claim to be Christian. But how many of that two-thirds even are really committed to know His person? Really committed to know His work and, and really understand what He came to do. It's overwhelming. I've listed ten on the screen for you for a couple of weeks. Ten of the things that Scripture says, or even Jesus Himself said in Scripture, He came for this reason. There's more than ten. But as Christ's followers, we ought to know what He came to do and what He magnificently accomplished. He didn't come and fail. That's a revelation for the church. He did not fail in what He came to do. It's finished. So we ought to be living in the life and the vibrancy of the finished work of Christ, the accomplished work of Jesus' mission. And then two-thirds of us, are we committed to know His teaching? Are we in the Word? Are we desiring to obey Him, His authority, and then His voice? It's so exciting to see many people in this house. I'm in relationship with, with a handful of them, but certainly not all of them. But there are so many that are pursuing Jesus' lordship in their life. They want, they want Jesus to be Lord. They're, they don't want to play church. They don't want to be religious. They want to walk in their freedom that they were created for, that Jesus is not just Savior, but He's Lord. That He's chief in charge. What I say the other day, that He's not just resident in your life, He's president in your life. As we learn to obey Him, that foundation is laid. And see, when Jesus is neither Savior nor Lord, you're spiritually dead. If He's neither Savior nor Lord, you're spiritually dead. 
when He is Savior but not Lord, you're comfortable. (laughs) When He's Lord but you don't know Him as Savior, meaning you don't understand His love, He rescued you, He humbled you, all that, then you're a legalist. He's Lord, but He's not Savior. And then when He's Lord and He's Savior, welcome to discipleship. You're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're that's what we're going after. So it's exciting, man. I would just say hop on the bus because there are many people desiring for Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their life. And, and uh, let's not settle for anything less because that's what He came for. Is to be Savior, yes, but also Lord. He wants to lead you and guide you and life you on a daily basis. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So where He's leading and lording you, there is freedom. And He desires that for us. So let's look at the next one. I mentioned this, the works and mission of Jesus, to reintroduce the kingdom to us, putting the Spirit back inside us so He could extend the Father's redemptive rule through us. We've looked at that. And we're currently on number two, to destroy the works of the devil. How many of you are figuring out this this series might last quite a while? (laughs) So we're on number two, to destroy the works of the devil of the devil. And here's the rest of it. If you're taking a picture, you don't have it yet. I'm just going to thumb through them real quick. I'm not going to say them all. You also get them on the website. They're or, sorry, on the uh, church Grace Church Facebook page. They're listed there. So let's continue with destroying the works of the devil. First John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil. I explained that last week. Whoever's committed to sin, whoever's married to sin, whoever loves sin is of the devil because the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so uh, we ate this word last week, the word devil. When you eat it, it's diabolos, means slanderer, false accuser. How about this? To unjustly criticize in order to injure. And then this one really stuck out to me. It means to condemn in order to sever a relationship. So diabolos, Jesus comes to destroy the works of diabolos in the Greek. Diabolos is the one who condemns you and condemns you and condemns you in order to sever a relationship. Okay, and that relationship would be with God, the one who made you for himself. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus Christ, shared in the same flesh and blood, he put on an earth suit, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He came to free those, release them, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. My goodness. So, I ate that passage too. Looked up the word destroy, that he might destroy him who had the power of death. And the word for uh, destroy means render inoperative. It means to abolish. To destroy here means that he made the devil of no effect and no influence. Uh, it means to bring to nothing. It means he deprived him of all force and all power. 
He has no power other than to deceive you. And he's good at it. He's been studying this for 6,000 years. But he stripped him of his force. He stripped him of his power. It means, destroy here means completely brought down. And then the next one is Thanatos in the Greek. And that's the word for release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I thought I had that one up there, but I don't see it. Uh, Thanatos is physical or spiritual death. And then it means to be separated from the life of God forever. So a lot of times we think of Death as, oh yeah, when that person died. No, death, as I've told you in Scripture, mostly is separation from the life of God. So if the enemy comes to sever the relationship, he wants to disconnect us from the life of God who we are created to abide in and be sourced by. But I think that's so powerful. He's releasing all those who through fear of separation from God were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Because we were created for this intimate relationship with the Lord. How about John 10.10? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the Zoe life of God. I came to connect you to the life of God. This is what Jesus came to do. The enemy came to separate you from the life of God. So we need to get a hold of the fact of Jesus' restoration work. Because he didn't fail. The life of God is now available to you. And every human being that will receive him... And go ahead and live in the reality of your connectedness to Him. I mentioned this last week, 1 Peter 1.18. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's the word redeemed for you when you eat that passage. It means to buy back, to set free by paying a full ransom, to restore something back to its rightful owner, And to rescue from the power and possession of a foreign or illegitimate power or owner. He rescued you from the power and possession of the enemy. And I love that the devil was never a legitimate owner of us. Never. That's what he came to do. He came to reverse the effects of even the fall. When you go back all the way to Genesis, this is how the the whole thing went south, is in the book of Genesis. And to, to buy us back, to set us free. I shared last week, the Lord had spoken that to me. I said, how can, how can you love someone like me? I fail you all the time. I said that when I was 20 years old. He said, because you're mine to love. That one time I did belong to the devil, but he had bought me and he was incapable of leaving me because I was his possession. Gave some security to me that maybe his faithfulness towards Steve is not based on Steve. Maybe it's based on who he is. And when you look at the character of God, the character of Jesus Christ, uh, you don't have the power to make him not love you or to make him reject you. You don't have that power. He is who he is, so deal with it. 
So let's go now to Romans 5. We're talking about destroying the works of the devil. He came to restore what had been lost. We were separated from the life of God. Jesus comes to get it back. Here's Romans 5.14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses until the law came, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. See, everybody who was born after Adam didn't have to commit a sin to become a sinner. They were born into sin. They were born into the Adam's family. (laughs) Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense or the transgression, for by the one man's offense, that's Adam, many died, but much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, Adam, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in, there it is, condemnation. Builder's term, not fit to live in. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Everybody say, I've been justified. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I love, I mean, Paul did a fantastic job uh, contrasting the two. You got Adam, he's the first Adam, then you got the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who's fixing it all. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Guess what the Greek word for life is here? Zoe, divine life of God. Bios, B-I-O-S, is your life, like if you wrote a biography about your life. So it's human life. But this is Zoe life. So again, condemnation came because of Adam. We were not fit to live in. That's why the Spirit of God is living in temples and the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. Until what? Until the cross. Now life can come back to us. Where? On the inside of us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can now reside Back on the inside of us. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and now lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not take the first three without taking the reason He came. And that's His life and Spirit on the inside of you. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made right with God. Thank you, Jesus. So let's break some of these down. I'm going to go back to verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Guess what the word death in the Greek is? Thanatos. Separation from the life of God. Now let's go over to verse 17. The word righteous. Righteousness. The gift of righteousness means this. Righteousness is justice. The righteousness of which God is the source or the author. It's a divine righteousness which means God's divine approval. So when you were made right with God, when you received the gift of righteousness, you received God's divine approval through a judicial verdict on your behalf. Christ has appeared in the presence of God on your behalf and got you a not guilty plea. 
Amen? We could even go as far as to say he got you a time-served plea. In the sense that when he died, you died. You have been punished for your sins. You were in Christ. You were crucified with him. John 12, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw how many? All men unto me. And do what? Put them to death. Righteously. Justifiably so. We deserve death. The wage of sin is death. And then Romans 6, 7 says, whoever has died has been freed from sin. So in the court of law, you are not guilty. And you say, well, but brother Steve, you don't know what I did this weekend. I partied all weekend and slept around with 17 people. Well, if you did, you need to get saved because that, that seems really hard to grasp. <laughs> that was a pretty outlandish uh, example. <laughs> Okay, so you did a big piece of stupid, though. You gave way to lustful thoughts in your mind. We'll say that. Does your justification change? No, you are still not guilty in the court of law because it came through Christ. Your ledger in the courtroom is His. So then it's like, well, what are we going to do with it? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm humbled. I don't want to go sin because I don't have any sin on my ledger. I want to live out what I've been given. I want to live up to what I've been, what I've already attained. Philippians 3.16. Go live out what you've already been given. Amen. Everybody say, I'm righteous. And so in verse 17, it says you can reign, R-E-I-G-N, Literal translation is reign as kings again. So what does that mean? Your dominion mandate has been restored. Genesis 1.28. Go take dominion. Go put God on display. And then how about verse 18? Justification of life. Okay? Through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. When you eat the word justification, I have it on the screen for you on this one. Thank you, Jesus. Divine approval to justify acquittal and the process of absolution. This is no lie. When I read the process of absolution, I said, Siri, what does absolution mean? She said, formal release from guilt, obligation, or punishment. How about that? I don't know how smart she is, but she at least had the answer to absolution. How many of you think that guilt, obligation, and punishment are works of the devil? They are. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. All that fear, all that separation from the life of God, all that condemnation, all that guilt, all that shame, all that embarrassment, all that disappointment. I'm telling you, he's crushed it. He's crushed it. He's ended it. You've been set free, formally released, and discharged from guilt. What is guilt? Feelings of having done wrong or failed in a requirement. You've been set free from obligation. What is that? To be morally or legally bound to perform an act. Man, growing up in church, it was always, oh, I have to. Once you get born again, it's I get to. I get to. I'm, I'm, I've been freed to do what I was born to do. I'm not free to do what I have to do. I'm free to do what I want to do. 
I want to love Him. I want to serve Him. Amen. And then punishment. You're free from punishment. The infliction of a penalty as retribution for an offense or transgression. Let's talk about justification and sanctification a little bit. Since you've been justified, everybody say, I'm justified. Justification is what Jesus provided for you through His blood. And that should not say each day. I don't know why that says that. That is a one-time, Jesus justified you. That's a one-time act. It's what He provided for you through His blood. Sanctification is what Jesus is doing in you each day. Justification, one time. Sanctification, every day. Number two, justification, what Jesus did for you on the cross. And then sanctification, what Jesus does in you, is what it should say, each day. Number three, justification is us and our spirit made right with God. And then over here, sanctification, (laughs) this somehow got messed up, is our soul walking out, not talking, well, that could be included, walking out our righteousness. Justification is immediate. Sanctification goes on until you see Him face to face. Justification, Jesus only. Sanctification is you and Jesus partnering together. How about we repost that on the Facebook page so you can get it right. Yikes. Bottom line is justification, Jesus did it. Jesus only. Only He could do that. You're justified. Sanctification is you and the Lord every day partnering together to live out what you've already been given. All right? Look at... uh, Oh, wait. i got to give you this. Back in verse 19. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. One man's obedience, the many were made righteous. So I looked up disobedience. It means hearing but not obeying. (laughs) And then obedience is total, total submission to what is heard. And that's where the Lord's taken us. Amen? In His grace, He's taken us there. That we don't want to just be hearers and not actually obey what He says. We want to dig deep. We want to go deep in our relationship with Him. Total submission to what we hear. Total submission to what we hear Him say. So a revelation of the work of Jesus Christ helps you to see what's made available to you. What is actually yours now so you can live victoriously, triumphantly with Him. Listen, if you don't love Jesus, you don't understand the magnitude of what He really did. Let me show you the Passion Translation of Romans 5.14. Death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Now there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. Wow. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and His gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us? Wow. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's like Jesus walked into the court of law, which he did, and Adam had a traffic ticket, and Jesus threw a block of gold bullion down on the table and said, this should cover it. 
And dad said, it's more than enough. More than adequate. There is no comparison between, okay, so whatever sin and Adam did to you, no comparison to what Christ has made available to you. There's no comparing. And yet, think of church history. It's like we major on sin all the time. Sin management, separation, do this, do that. I'm telling you, the Scripture is telling you, there's no comparison what sin did to you to destroy, sever your relationship with God. Jesus Christ has more than adequately paid that price and got you back to God. So what do we do? Believe it. Live like it. Stop living by your feelings. Stop living by your behavior. And walk by truth. Walk by the truth. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And then we're going to stay in the truth. I was telling a guy this last week that, that I'm walking with, I'm helping. I'm saying, keep your nose in the truth. Keep reminding yourself who you are in Christ. Some things we need to be taught, but half the time we just need to be reminded. Remind yourself. Be your best friend. Don't be your worst enemy. Don't be your biggest accuser. Amen, somebody. Can I speak to husbands and wives? Don't be your spouse's biggest accuser. Don't be your biggest, your spouse's biggest condemner. Remind them. If they're acting like a fool, remind them who they are. If they know, if they don't, teach them. Some, somebody ought to give God praise for that because that was good. Six of you getting excited. My goodness, Lord, help this full gospel church. <laughs> help us, Lord. Ask yourself, what's made available? What is made available to me? Then reprioritize everything based on, hey, I know the finished work of Christ. I'm giving my life. I'm ordering my life around knowing what he did. And then what? Appropriating it. Applying it. So discover what all it is and then live it out. Order your life around it. We've talked about five levels of transformation many times. Are you just aware of what he did? Maybe you're pondering today. Wow, I didn't know he did that. Maybe you even value it. I really value what Brother Steve said today. Boy, that was really good. I think somebody else probably should value it too. (laughs) Then comes the shift. Where you say, you know what? I'm going to reprioritize my life around the truth of what he did. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm not just going to hear the word on Sunday. I'm going to obey the word. I'm not going to be a hearer. I'm going to be a doer. I'm going to become one with it. Am I preaching good? Am I stepping on your toes there? Why do we assign more value to Adam's ability to make us wrong than Jesus' ability to make us right? Why do we do that? It's about proper value assignment. You assign more value to what Adam did to mess you up and then even your personal sin than you assign value to Christ's righteous blood and the verdict that's been given in the annals of heaven that set you free and discharged you. We do it because we're too carnal. We live too much by how we feel, by our emotions and what we see. Paul Paul is describing here, it is more than enough. And guys, I understand that the world and all of creation is still subject to the fall of man. But in Christ, you're a new creation. 
You are not who you used to be. By definition, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. By definition, you're not who you used to be. You need to get a hold of that. Start believing it. You're not just an old sinner. You're a brand new creation. You're righteous, justified, holy, set apart, called of God. He knows your name. Amen. So because you've been born again, two wonderful things happened. You got born out of the Adams family. And you got born into the family of God. Amen, amen. In Adam, I am nothing. I know nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. In Christ, I'm a new creation. I know all things. I have everything. I can do all things through Him. Amen? The result of the Adam's family is on the left. The result of being in Christ is on the right. I'm a new creation. I know all things in and through Christ. You have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. I have everything. I can do all things through Christ. All right. Let's look at one other work of the devil here. Luke 4.17. And Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. To preach the good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? (laughs) How many of you know that poor poverty right there is a work of the devil? And if you eat that word, which I did, doesn't just mean physically or financially poor. It means spiritually poor. So he is here to preach good news to those who are destitute. Uh, it literally means, let me just tell you, bent over like beggars. You know why we eat Scripture? Because I'll just give you a great perfect example. In the Old Testament, when you see the word praise, it's translated, you know, in English, you're reading it in English as praise. There's 10 different words for praise in the Hebrew. So it's just praise to us, but if you'll, if you'll click on it, if you'll eat it, if you'll break it down, you'll find out that there's a praise that means they were raising their hands, they were kneeling, they were shouting, they were dancing. Face down on the floor is another expression of praise. That makes sense. It just gives us greater meaning, gives us deeper insight because the Hebrew language, even the Greek language, is more wordy, more descriptive than the English language. English is pretty cut and dry. So that's why we break these down for you. That's why we encourage you to get into the Word, sit with the author, and dig it out with him. But it means bent over like 
beggars. So the good news is that Jesus is announcing there's provision, not just financially, but spiritually, there is provision for those who are broke and destitute. And if you seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, what? Everything else is added to you. And then brokenhearted. Can I get a witness that sin and separation from God has broken many, many hearts? Absolutely true. And then he came to proclaim liberty to the captive. Sin makes people captive and enslaves them. This is why I really believe as we get a hold of the truth, as, we, as we're authentic disciples of Jesus, we're Jesus followers, that we study His work. I want to know His person, but I want to know His work. I want to know what He came here to do. And we've been digging this out. But when you don't know, see, if knowing the truth will set a man free, believing a lie or being deceived will set him in bondage. So proclaiming liberty to the captives. And then sight to the blind. Sin is deceptive. Sin blinds us. Sin gives us substitutes for intimacy. Sin gives us other things to try to connect to other than the life of God. John 15 verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. I love what Brother Michael said the other day at Eat the Word on Sunday night. He said, that means there's false vines. That's the first thing I see. There must be false vines. And, of course, all of us are like, oh, my gosh. Well, here's everything I've tried to derive life from that didn't give me life at all. People, relationships, football teams, stock market, business, government, politics. Pick all the idols of our day. They can't satisfy you. There is one true vine for a human being. And you didn't make yourself, so it's not like you can up and say, well, I think I'll pick a different one. You didn't make yourself. This is a law at work in your members. I don't see any fish protesting water. <laughs> right? Fish out of water is not free to go suntan on the beach. A fish out of water is dead. A star falls from the firmament. What's it doing? Dying. Plant ripped out of the soil is what? It's dead. Dying it is dead is the real definition. A human being was made by the Spirit and the Word of God. So wherever your origin came from, who you came from is your source. This is a law. It's the law of origination. It's the law of creation. Whatever you came out of, you must abide there in order to have life. And so Jesus came for this to happen. We need to know, 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 know that we're too great a creation to be satisfied by anything but God. How many of you guys, show of hands, for real, how many of you ever seen somebody come to Christ where they receive the Spirit of the Lord in their heart and they're reconciled? They're, okay. How many of you saw that person just super angry about it? Do you see any joy, uh, peace? They felt right. The kingdom of God, Romans fourteen seventeen, is not eating and drinking and religious stuff. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when a human being 
gets reconnected to the Spirit of God, they feel right, they feel peace, and they feel joy. This is written into you as a human being. It's written in all of them. That's why I don't give up on the world. Humans are made for him. Now, they can reject him, but he is their homecoming. If we can get out there and help them see the light. Do you realize that Jesus didn't come just to preach deliverance? He came to bring deliverance. My goodness. Hello, church in the West. We're not just here to preach deliverance. We're here to bring it. Because he has restored our dominion mandate that we lost in the book of Genesis. I don't know if you noticed, he's quoting what? Isaiah, what's he quoting? 61? What did he leave off? He recited Isaiah. What did he leave off? One sentence. Day of vengeance of our God. Not time for that. Is it coming? It's coming. But in this dispensation, he didn't regurgitate that part because there's an offer on the table. One day it will be the kingdom <laughs> on de- of a demand. This, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That will happen. Right now there's an offer on the table. And we must be about our Father's business. We must be the, the tools in His hands, the, the, the words of His mouth to reach a Western world that is bound awfully by religion and by other idols such as politics and government and money. This country is bad. We've got, we've got serious idol problems in this country. But a remnant is rising. And we'll say it again. A remnant of people are rising who are saying, Lord, we want to be intimate with you. We want to know you. We want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Christ. And out of that, we want to make you known to a world that desperately needs to see who you really are. Because religion has not painted the picture, guys. They need to see who he is. And he's good. Amen? He's good. He's loving. He's kind and he's forgiving. Sinners can't quit sinning in their own might and power. You've got to get them to him first. And that offer is on the table. They cannot be holy and leave their unholy lifestyle without the Holy One empowering them. I don't care how much guilt people put on them, how much shame you put on them. They can't change without Him. We've got to get them to Him. And then don't leave them at the hospital. Walk with them. Once they get born into Christ's family, walk with them. Help them be developed in Christ. Help them learn from Jesus to be like Jesus. So when Jesus says here, he's proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord, that is an Old Testament reference to Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, concept of Jubilee. Who knows what happens in Jubilee? All debts are canceled, all slaves set free. Everything starts over. And he says, one of the reasons I came is to announce that the year of Jubilee has come. All debts are paid. All slaves go free. He came to destroy the works of the devil. We need to start living like we actually believe that. And that the devil is underneath our feet. If Christ is in you, did he he come and fulfill the prophecy of putting his uh, heel on the devil's head? 
He did. All the way back from Genesis, we knew that was going to happen, and he did. And so he's in you now. The devil is underneath your feet. The only weapon he has is to deceive you, trick you, get you outside of living the truth. Will you stand with me? Gavin, you guys, go ahead and come. Next week, super important. We're getting to the third thing he came to do, and that's initiate a brand new covenant. If you are not aware that as a Gentile, you were only offered one covenant, and that's the new covenant outlined in Hebrews chapter 8, then you need to come and get yourself free (laughs) because the terms of the new covenant are far more advantageous for us than the old covenant law. Okay, so Jesus comes to initiate by the shedding of blood a brand new covenant between God and man. We'll get into that next week. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Steve, I do not know Jesus Christ, but I want to know Him. I want to receive Him into my heart, into my spirit. I want to do that today and begin my walk with Christ. If that's you, slip your hand up and say, pray for me. Anyone. Anyone here today say, I do not know the Lord, but I want to. I want to begin a spirit-to-spirit relationship with Christ. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.